All right, ladies, welcome. So we're learning Tehillim, David HaMelech, Alav HaShalom. And these are classes that are studied specifically, Le'elu Nishmat HaTzadeket Le'ah, Lili Bat Virjaneh, Mrs. Lili Medeb, Alav HaShalom, a project inspired by her son, Rafi, the doctor, and that we should learn a chapter, hopefully a week, in order to elevate her soul. And we're up to chapter 65. Now this is a uh, classic chapter. Now this is a chapter over here that is connected to a story in the Nevi'im. So we're going to have to go back to Navi today. But the beginning Pesukim are actually standalone. They're just David HaMelech talking. So first, let's read the few, first few pesukim before we get to the connection in the Nevi'im. So, So it's a song. The Menaseach is the conductor. David Amelich again wrote these songs. He presented it to the conductor of the orchestra, and then they would play it based on the different musical, uh, uh, you know, compositions that they made, and they would play it in the Beit Hamikdash. This again is a a song, praise of God. Now the first three words, Literally it means, to you, meaning to God, silence, tehila is a praise. Now normally when you praise somebody, so the, uh, the praise manifests itself with words. You have compliments, you give all sorts of adjectives in order to extol the virtues of whoever you want to praise. But then there's a certain type of praise of somebody that's so great that no words would be able to really define the person. And therefore, the biggest praise is you say nothing. Sometimes you hear when they're introducing somebody and they say, you know, uh, there's nothing we could say. That, all that means is he didn't prepare. That, that's all it means. There's nothing he could say because he didn't think about anything to say. So he copped out and said, there's nothing we could say. So, so. But if you would have thought about it, to every human being, there's compliments you could give. Human beings are not God. You could extol their virtues. But to say, there's nothing we could say. Now, let's see when we invite him and we say that about him, if he'll be uh, so uh, accepting. What do you mean there's nothing I could say? I did all these things in my life. You have nothing to say about me? So to human beings, being silent is not uh, necessarily a praise. But to God, <clears throat> no matter what you're going to say, you didn't even begin a small percentage of the praise of God. So that's why if somebody, let's say, is worth a million dollars, and you come along and say, he's worth a hundred dollars. So better he didn't say anything, instead of minimizing his value. So no matter what you're gonna praise God, you're minimizing him because, and what? He's just, he's just that. As a matter of fact, the Gemara says that if it were for the fact that the Torah allows us <coughs> to say, because Moshe Rabbeinu praised God using those three accolades, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to say that even in the Amidah. Who are we to praise God? Why he's only Gadol He's and there was one story of the Gemara that says one rabbi got up and started to praise, and he, you know, he had a good vocabulary. Anyway, it went on and on and on and on and on. 
Instead of the three, he went and said uh, 20 accolades. So the rabbis were very patient. And after he finished, they told him, you finished? Well, why'd you stop? Well, you think because you added an extra 17 accolades, now you finished the praises of God? If it weren't for the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu said, Haggadol, we wouldn't say that either. So they would, don't be a hero. Don't think you're, you're solving the problem by adding a couple of more praises. And then when the Pasuk says, Lecha tehila, the greatest praise to God is Dom. Dom Dom Aharon, Dumiya. Dumiya means silence. Don't say anything. The fact that you're not saying anything or you're, you're limiting yourself, that shows you that God is too beyond, God is too great, God is too infinite, and therefore words cannot uh, explain him. Now let's read the Rashi, because we're going <coughs> to see how Rashi explains it. See, just what I just said. The Shitika is a praise to you. In kids, in kids, there's no end to your praises. One that increases the praises of God is actually decreasing from the respect of God. You ever hear in America they say, more is less? This is an example. More is less. Because by not saying anything, you're surrendering. You're saying, listen, there's nothing I can say, etc. But when you start, as if you're saying, yeah, I did it. I did, at least I did something. What did you do? You did nothing. To the infinite, what's three, four words? So therefore, one should say uh, 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 nothing. So, Now, there's another interpretation to this. Because the next part introduces Sion. What is Sion? Jerusalem. So to God is the praise. And what is the praise of God? His silence. And where is God silent? In Jerusalem. Which means <clears throat> that even though God sees the enemies going into Yerushalayim and destroying the Beit HaMikdash and trampling the holy sites and causing all sorts of uh, uh, humiliation to the holy city, now these enemies are no challenge to God. In one second, Bode Olam can destroy them. The greatness of our God is, is that he's able to be quiet and he holds himself back when he sees the enemies doing what, they, what they're doing. One shouldn't think that it's not because he can't overcome the enemies. Of course, God can overcome the enemies in one second. It's just that he has control because either that's kaparat avunot for us and therefore he has to let the process happen in order that we should get a tikkun. <clears throat> so therefore, look at the next Lashi. Uh, Lashi uh, says, Dabar Acher, Lecha dumiya tehila Elohim, B'Siyon, Et Asher Domamta, The fact that you, God, are quiet. The Domem in this Pasuk is going back on God. Veherashta, Veherashta means, and you are silent. When you see the enemies in Zion, what they did, that is the greatest praise. That you have the ability to take revenge. But nonetheless, you are patient and tolerant. So again, the ability to God to be silent on something that he can obviously resolve in one second, that is the praise of God. His, um, 
his ability to, to resist the temptation of taking revenge against our enemies. So that's yet a second interpretation. So again, is going on us. Our silence is the greatest praise we can give to God. Second interpretation. Your silence. Like we say in Az Yashir every day. And the Gemara says, don't read the word Elim. Elim means the strong ones. Elim means the mute. God, you make yourself like a mute. You see the enemies doing all this that, that are angering you, and you have patience. You have patience until either they make Teshuvah or until their time is up. So, who is like you that is an Elim, a mute, that you're silent. And the same thing in this Pasuk. The praise that we give to you is the fact that you are silent. When? In Sion. After all the enemies are doing what they're doing. Now I'd like to explain it a, a third way. <clears throat> it means like this. The biggest praise that we could give God is when we show that we are obedient to his mitzvot. If somebody wanted to measure, how do I know if I'm Yireh Shamayim or not? How do I know if I have fear of God? Fear of God is manifested in two places. If the person is active in doing God's will, and a person also is uh, uh, inactive in not making Averot. When a person resists to make an Averah, that shows he has Yireh Shamayim. Otherwise, why is, why is he not making a sin? Only because he has fear of God. Why is a, 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 a person running to do a mitzvah? Because he feels that there's God's presence, therefore he has fear of God. So the Pasuk says, when Jews are silent, meaning when they're not speaking Lashon Hara, and they're not speaking Nibul Peh, and they're not speaking gossip, and they're not speaking things uh, betek, in betek or they're not speaking things that are inappropriate. Our silence, meaning in not speaking the things that you forbade, that's the biggest praise. If you want to give a praise to God, so when a person is, is shomer lashon, the fact that a person is able to be quiet, that is the biggest praise we're giving to God, meaning being quiet from things that are forbidden. The Gemara says on this, the famous uh, quip of the Talmud, which means, if you had to put a price on words, the Gemara says, Mila besela. A word is worth one coin. Silence is worth two. That means silence is twice the value of a word. So the one that's being quiet, his silence has a value. We always think of it, well, your silence, that's, it's worthless. You didn't say anything. So the Gemara is saying, it's always better to take the position of being more conservative with your words, being more economic about your words. The, the, the silence is even greater than, uh, than the word itself. And there's, there's reasons for that. It's because when you're talking, you can't learn from anybody. When you're talking, you're, you're communicating, but you can't listen to anybody else. When a person's quiet, he's able to observe, he's able to listen. I once said that if you take, I know we don't do Rashid word in English, it's not our tradition, but nonetheless it's a good remez. If you take the word silent, silent is the same letters as listen. 
So which means when a person's silent, he's able to listen. So you're able to learn from somebody else. But when you're talking, you're in a you're in a weak position because you're not able to absorb. You're only being polite. You're only being you know uh, spitting out. So that's the third explanation. Now there is a midrashim over here that are worth our while. There's a midrash over here that says it's in uh, actually it's a Gemara Eruvin, page nineteen. So the measure of God is obviously different than the measure of man. In the olden days when a person was, let's say, subject to capital punishment. So they would, let's say, uh, you know, hang him on a tree. So before they hang him, they put a, a, a hook in his mouth so he can't talk. Why? Because they knew that the uh, victims on the tree before they died, they cursed the king. And it would be a bushah to the king that he's gonna say, you know, all these diatribes and, you know, curse the malchut and make all these things. So they put a, a, like a hook in his mouth so he can't talk. Matilim lo shelo So he doesn't curse the king. But look what happens when Hashem punishes a person. But what happens when God punishes a person? He keeps quiet. As it says, And the question is, why? Why is it that when uh, um, a Jewish person is on death row, so to speak, in the times of the Bedin, let's say, they wouldn't have to worry to, 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 to close his mouth. They knew he wasn't saying anything. If anything, he would say, He would say, God, you're right. So not only don't, don't, don't have to worry about cursing. Instead of a dumiya, there's going to be a tehila, there's going to be a praise. What's the difference? The difference is like this. Because when a human judges a human, we come along and say, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He made a mistake. What is he, God? He knows everything I was doing. He knows all the, 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 the facts. And even if I did something wrong, what is he punishing my wife? What is he punishing my children for? A human being cannot make justice across the board. So we never feel that the justice that a human meets out is really tzedek. So therefore the guy has claims. So what does he do before he dies? He curses the king. Because you know what? After he dies, the king can't punish him anymore. So what's the difference? I'll curse the king. And then when I die, uh, that's it. He's going to kill me again? He killed me once. So therefore they have to put a stick in his mouth so he won't talk. But when God punishes somebody in the Bedin, so the person knows that this is a punishment from Hashem, and therefore he has no claims on God. And why? He's also scared to say anything, because he knows that God can kill him again. Because he knows there's an afterlife. He knows there's Olam Abba. So therefore, what, what do you think is going to happen if the person dies? He goes up to Hashem. Now Hashem says, by the way, you cursed me before you died, now I'm going to punish you again. So he knows that there's a, um, there's, there's a postscript to the death. And therefore, he's worried to say anything. So that shows he has emunah. So therefore, the Gemara is learning the pasuk like this. Lecha dumiya tehila. Which means to you, God, not only are we silent at the time when you're giving the person Yisurin, but even more, tehila, we praise you. Our reaction is dumiya tehila. We're silent. That means we don't curse God. When a person gets Yisurin, what does he say? Like Eov said, Hashem Natan, Hashem Naka, Yishem Hashem Avorach. God gave, God took, let the name of God be blessed. 
We don't question the 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 the, 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 the judgment of God. Hashem knows what He's doing. So then, but we're quiet, like by Yidom Aharon, He accepted. But even more, the Dehila, we even praise you. And we come along and say, Sadiq, you know exactly what you're doing. David Amelik said it in a different chapter. I think it's chapter uh, 30 in Tehillim. David Amelik said, What did he mean, David, over there? He says, Some people, when they get Yisurin, they're on a high level. But Yidom, they don't say anything, which is a high level, not to, not to complain. But David Amelik says, It's a high level. The goal is to sing to God. Even when he's going through a hard time. I'm not going to be quiet. Being quiet is just one level. Thank God you're not cursing God when you're going through a hard time. That's a level. But the higher level is not only not cursing, but that you're praising. It's not enough that you're not... uh, I'm not going to be silent. I'm going to to praise you. So that's yet a fourth interpretation based on the uh, Talmud in this uh, this Gemara. Now there's a... The end of this pasuk says, Ulcha Yeshulam Neder. Ulcha Yeshulam Neder literally means, and to you, God, we will fulfill our vows. The person makes a vow to God, so therefore, we will fulfill it. Now we'll see exactly what the connection between this has to do. Look at the next pasuk. Shomei tefillah. God, you answer the tefillot. Shomei tefillah. What does this mean over here? Adecha means to you, meaning elecha. To you, kol basar yavo'u. All of mankind comes in front of you. So simply it means, the way the Ibn Ezra explains it, is that all of mankind used to come to the Beit HaMikdash to pray to, pray to God. Even the Guim. When the Bet HaMikdash was around, there was a special gallery where the Guim could come even and praise. So David HaMelech is saying, kol basar Not only the Jews, kol basar, all the, all the basar. But I saw another explanation like this. There's two types of prayers. There's one type of prayer that a person is praying for, Ruhaniyut. Ruhaniyut means spiritual uh, acquisitions, which is the highest level of prayer. Uh, that's what a person wants. A person has to pray for spiritual, spiritual things. Uh, what else should be his, uh, his desire? He has to pray for ruhaniyut. I just heard now when I was upstairs, uh, Rav Chaim Karyevsky's son, Badilla Hayim of Shlomo, gave his bed for his father. And he said there was a, uh, a student that came to the rabbi every day to learn at one point in his life. He would come every day and learn with the rabbi, you know, habruta, whatever it was. So the rabbi, in the beginning of this relationship, told the kid, he said, listen, I don't have a problem, we'll learn, and we'll have, you know, success, but you have to forgive me, I'm not going to remember your name. I'm not going to remember my name. He said, so don't be offended if I don't remember your name, if they ask you what's your name, don't be offended, even though you're coming every day. I was shocked. The rabbi over has an unbelievable memory. He knows the whole Torah, Kula, Kula. I can't remember Shlomo. I can't remember Yitzhak. I can't remember one, uh, one name. So he said, no, you see, because I pray to God that I should only remember my Torah. I'm not interested in remembering anything else that has nothing to do with Torah. I don't want to waste the rem, uh, the memory, the, 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 the gigabytes in my brain on, you know, I wouldn't say nonsense. It's a guy's name, but it's not Torah. 
So therefore, since I don't pray, only that my memory should be used for Torah and Torah only, so you shouldn't hold it, uh, you know, hold it against me. It's amazing. So were, the tzaddikim, they're praying for, obviously, Ruhaniyut. But the regular people, what are they praying for? For Gashmiyut. You know, they're praying for physical stuff. They're praying for material stuff. They're praying for, you know, money. And they're praying for other things that will benefit them in Olam Hazeh. So the Pasuk says, don't think God doesn't answer those people also. Shomeya tefillah. What type of tefillah? Adecha kol basar. Even if the prayer is about basar. Basar means flesh. Even if it's a materialistic tefillah. Yavo. The tefillah will go in front of God. Like we say in the tefillah. Ki shomeya tefillat kol pe. God listens to the prayers of all the mouths. Even if it's not such a lofty prayer. But whatever the guy's praying for. If that's what he uh, wants. And he prays wholeheartedly. But olam answers it. Even if it's a tefillah of kol basar, even if it's bereft from any spiritual element and he's just praying for basar, meaning for the material element of it, Yavu'u, Boreham says, Baruch Abba. Now there's a, there's an amazing Zohar. The reason why I'm quoting this Zohar over here because it's in this week's parasha. <laughs> amazing. How we have such good simanim. Uh, this week we're reading parasha Tazriyah. And if you open up the Zohar in Parashat Tazriya and Daf Mimted, the Zohar asks a question on this chapter of the Tehillim. It's unbelievable. The Zohar's question is like this. In the course of one day, there's thousands and thousands of tefillot that are made by Jews all over the world. So why does David Amalek say Shomeya Tefillah? He should say Shomeya Tefillot. He should say it in the plurality. Why does he say it in the, in the singular tense? So the Surah Kadur says, says because that to bring a tefillah to him, it has to bring, there's a certain tefillah that becomes a kit, it becomes a crown to God. But that tefillah has to be a perfect tefillah. So what do the angels do? They go around and they make perfect tefillot. How? One guy had kabana in atahon el adam da'at. So they take atahon el adam da'at from Mr. So-and-so. Another person had kabana in the fa'enu. They take his the fa'enu. But very few people can have kabana in all 18 or 19 berachot. So some people have kabana in one line. So the angels, oh, that's a good line of it. But that, so therefore the angels create the perfect tefillah. That's a combination or a, a compendium of all the tefillot of Klai Yisrael. From all the tefillot, the angels make a puzzle. They take a little from this guy, a little from that lady, and they put them all together, and now you have the perfect prayer. So therefore, the Zohar HaKadosh says, Shomeya Tefillah. That Boreolam ultimately listens to one Tefillah, which is a compendium of many Tefillot of Klai Yisrael. Adecha. Adecha means it's an edi. Edi is like a, um, a crown to a Kadosh Baruch Hu. Therefore, the Zohar HaKadosh says it uses the singular term. Now look at the next pasuk. The next pasuk comes along and says, avonot gaveru meni. Ata now David HaMelech over here is simply explaining that avonot, our, our sins, avonot, gaveru meni, they're they're beyond our, our count. And therefore, we cannot even ask forgiveness for them because we don't even know. We lost track. 
Pesha'enu, and therefore our sins, we ask God, just atone for them and give us kapara. That's a simple interpretation. A deeper interpretation over here is, we just said in the Pasuk over here, God answers the tefillah. Problem is, tefillah is a manifestation of a person's speech. We pray with our mouths. In a minute, we're going to ask a question, why does God want us to pray with our mouths? We should just pray in our hearts. After all, God knows what we're thinking. So why does God want us to pray verbally? We'll see that's the Arizal's question. Put that on the side for a minute. Here, we pray with our mouths. The problem is, we use the same mouth to talk Lashonara and to talk, you know, foul language and things are not appropriate. So therefore, our tefillot have a problem being answered because the mouth that we're using is not clean. You cannot use, uh, you cannot bring a, a dirty plate and give it to the king to eat from. The king will not eat the food. Even if you put the most delicious food on a dirty plate, the king says, I cannot eat this food, you put it on a dirty plate. So even if you make the most elegant prayer with kavanah and all these sorts of, you know, in, 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 in concentrations, but what else are you giving it on a dirty mouth? The mouth is not clean, so you're presenting a beautiful prayer in a dirty mouth. So the Gemara says, Nezim zahab ba'af hazir. That's a, a gold ring in the, in the nose of a, of a pig. <laughs> So even if it's the, the nicest jewelry, but in the, in, the, in, the, in the nose of a pig, forgive me. So the same thing God says, how can I accept your prayer from a mouth that's uh, not clean? So that's why we say, God Almighty, how are prayers going to be answered? What is Dibur. Divre avonot. The avonot that come from divre, from dibur, gaverumeni. They're so uh, uh, beyond us. There's so many of them. And therefore, how are tefillot going to be answered? The, 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 what haunts us is the vrei avonot. The avonot that are tadui in debre, in dibur. And therefore, we have to say to you, to God, you have to forgive us. Before we can make a tefillah that has a chance to be accepted, we have to make a teshuvah on the avonot. On the avonot that are tadui on diburim. Well, that's, that's that interpretation. Now, I want to present to you a, a piece over here from Rav Hida. Rav Hida is quoting the Ariza. It's a little um, philosophical piece over here, but uh, I won't. Uh... You see, that's what Hatam Sofer said. I want to read it inside. Devre abonot gaviru meni perush ho il bedevre ha abonot gaviru debre daika. Avonot ha-devarim, the avonot that are talui in devarim, dibut peh, lashonara, imken, he reads it like this, ech efshar shetechaper pesha'enu, halo hu hu ha-peh asher marad, ve-ech katigor ya'asa sanigor. You know how he reads it. He reads this pasuk rhetorically. He says, devre avonot gaverumenu, because I have sins of speech, pesha'enu atatechaperem, could you atone ours? Could you atone? Because how do we come to God and ask for atonement with our mouth? Hatati, aviti, pashati. That's the same mouth that did all these averot. So therefore, how can you use the prosecutor to now become the defender? We have a rule. En katigon asasanigor. The prosecutor cannot become the defender. So you're using the, 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 the instrument 
that rebelled, and you're bringing the rebellious instrument now to ask God for forgiveness. So again, Hatam Sofit learns like this, because my sins are in the realm of of Dibur, of speech, is it possible for you to forgive our sins? Because we're coming with the same mouth. So it's a catch-22. <laughs> Therefore, if you, it, it, knowing that, that you're going to use your mouth for tefillah, someone has to be careful during the day, make sure not to use it for, for other things. Well, now I present to you what the Arizal said. The Arizal says like this, and it's brought down by the Sefer Chumat Anach. Pirush Rabbeinu Ari. It's in Sha'ara Pesukim in Parashat Re'eh. Yesh lachkor. Hakor, he makes like a, a philosophical uh, discussion. Why do we have to pray by moving our lips? Why do we, when a person makes a vow, it's a mitzvah to make vows, let's say. Why do you have to make the vow verbally? When a person makes confession, why do you have to make it verbally? Why? Doesn't God know what we're thinking? Doesn't God know what our thoughts are? So wouldn't it be enough for me to come to shul and just sit in my chair and ponder? And if somebody comes and says, what are you doing? Don't interrupt me, I'm, I'm praying. Well, there's no sidur. What do you mean you're praying? There's no, you don't have a book in front of you. I don't need a book. I'm just thinking about all the things that I need and I want. But Hashem, how does he know what you want? What are you talking about? Hashem knows everything. Hashem knows all the thoughts. So that, he just says, wouldn't that be even more praiseworthy to God? By praying, what are we saying? Uh, we have to pray because God doesn't hear. So you have to... So therefore, it would be more stunning if we would not have to talk to God, but if we can sit in front of God and there's mental empathy, that God could just read our minds, and that would be a bigger uh, Kiddush Hashem. That's Adizal's question. Normally, if I want to talk to you, I can't look at you and think, and you say, oh, that's what you think? Oh, that, you don't know what I'm thinking. But in God's world, that's enough. So they would, why don't we do the more, uh, uh, the more amazing method? And that would give God a big praise. So the rabbi says, eh, you're right, but there's a, there's a problem with it. He says, would be elevated. That what? this God, he even knows what we're thinking. The problem with this is that it, it causes people to uh, get away with uh, not praying. He says, what's going to happen? The guy's going to come to shul. He's going to be sitting there. And what is he doing? He's thinking about uh, what he's going to have for breakfast. And uh, <laughs> who knows where? When the guy comes, what are you doing? Hey, I'm praying. He's thinking about his, uh, his, his grilled cheese sandwich he's going to have in five minutes. So therefore, in order that, not for God, from God's standpoint, it's enough for us to ponder. But in order to root out the people that will use that as an excuse not to pray, so therefore, put a sinud in your hand, now you have to say the words, now you have to say the Shema out loud, and therefore it'll force everybody to pray. Furthermore, if you're going to make people make vows only in their heart, and they don't say it out loud, so nobody will ever know that they made a vow, so therefore they won't keep it, because nobody knows they made a vow except themselves. But if they have to say it out loud, somebody will hear it, and therefore they're going to be embarrassed to break their vow, because some, 
So that really in the perfect world, if you didn't have wise guys, you wouldn't have to do any of these things verbally. You should do these things privately. But the Rav says, If tefillah was in the heart, They'll go to Bet Knesset. However, they'll just sit on the, on the floor. They're going to be silent. And their mind is thinking about uh, all other things. They're thinking about the marketplace and their business. You know, foreign thoughts. When the rabbi says, hey, did you pray today? Yeah, I prayed. Did you see, didn't you see me sitting there? <laughs> Meanwhile, if you put an x-ray machine on his brain, but now what are you going to find there? Snakes and scorpions. If vidui was just done in the heart, imagine Yom Kippur. What, 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 what's the value of the rabbi? Stand up, take the sidur, atati, aviti, pashati, everybody says it together. But if you relied on that everybody could do this in their heart, the guy could come along and say, I made vidui. Maybe, what were they thinking, he says, Arizal? Maybe they were thinking how to make new sins. <laughs> Not only did they make the shuvah, but they're thinking of how to make new averot. However, once you cause tefillah to be done out loud, you can't sketch. Basically, that's what he's saying. To, to root out the sketch artists, people, they're going to try to use that as an excuse so then we make it out loud. And that's why we read the Tehillim now. Now watch, this is, I think the fifth or sixth interpretation. Really God, the bigger praise would be for us to be silent when we pray. That would be the bigger praise. So then why aren't we uh, silent when we pray? Why would that be the bigger praise? Because we would show everybody that you even know our thoughts. However, why, why are we doing this verbally? Uh, the answer is, in order that our nedarim will be fulfilled. Because once we have to do it out loud, now people know about it, so therefore we're forced to keep it. But if we were doing it between our heart, we could always say, I didn't think of a nedir. And therefore he says, Shomeyat tefillah. We have to pray out loud that God hears it. You know why? So all the people will come to Bekinesin and really pray and not sketch and not fool and say, oh, yeah, we were praying. Meanwhile, they were not doing anything. Furthermore, my avonot have to be I have to make vidui bapay. Why? Because then you'll forgive us. Because then we're really making a vidui. But if you just trusted it to be in our brains, a lot of people won't even think about it. They might be thinking about something else. And therefore they're never going to really get teshuvah. So they, according to the Arizal, this beginning chapter answers an age-old philosophical question. Why does God need us really to pray verbally? Doesn't he know what we're thinking? And the Arizal is really answering, yes, in the perfect world, it would have been a bigger praise not to say anything, because then we're showing everybody that God really understands our thoughts. Therefore, the real praise would be but unfortunately, we don't live in a perfect world and we've got to root out the wise guys who are going to use these mental thoughts either not to think about anything and therefore there won't be prayers being made, there won't be vidui being made and the darim are not going to be fulfilled. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece from Rabbeinu Ha'ari. All right, now... That's the introduction of the chapter. Now, now we begin the uh, discussion that we came to talk about today. Although that's a nice introduction, but nonetheless, 
So there's a story that the Malbim reminds us of. It happened in Shemuel Bet, chapter 21. If you want to read the story yourselves after, you're welcome to, with all those details. Shemuel Bet, chapter 21. There was a famine. In the times of David, the famine lasted for three years. Shana Hare Shana. It says consecutive years. One year after the other. So the rabbis ask, what do you mean? If it's three years, it's three years. We have to tell me one year after the other. So the Gemara says, in Yevamot, we're doing that in Dafyomi now, we'll get to it, page 78. Over there, the Gemara says that every year of the famine, David was trying to figure out why is this happening. Tzaddik always wants to know what the Avon is, so the people can make the Shuvah. So it says, he figured that the first year, the sin why there's no rain and there's a famine is because of Avodah Zarah. Maybe the people are worshipping idolatry. And David Amalek was right because we say every day in Kiryat Shema, Hishamiru Lachem, be careful. Lest your heart sway, and you will worship foreign gods. God will get angry. And then it says what? God will stop bringing the rain. So you see, Avodah Zarah causes the rains to stop. So that means it must be they're doing Avodah Zarah. He investigated from the north to the south of Israel and he saw Baruch Hashem, they're not doing Avodah Zarah. So that was the first year. The second year, the famine was still there. So David Amalek had to direct his investigation somewhere else. So he said, must be the Jewish people are involved in Arayot. What's Arayot? Immorality. There's a pursuit that comes along and says, Be'ad isha zona ad kikar lachem. That because a person commits immorality with isha zona, he will become poor, he doesn't even have a loaf of bread to eat. So he says, we don't have what to eat. Must be the people are not behaving. Must be there's uh, immorality. Sent out the Tzini'ut police all over Eretz Yisrael. And Baruch Hashem, everybody was behaving. Everybody was uh, acting proper. There was Tzini'ut. So that was the second year. And the famine's still going. Shana, shana, year after year. And David cannot figure out what's going on. Came the third year. So he said, ah, I know what it is. The Gemara says in Ta'anit that if a person makes a donation to tzedakah and doesn't pay it, so God causes the rains to dissipate. No rains. The Gemara explains this, when a person makes a donation, let's say to the shul, so the shul gets all excited, or make it better, the poor person. I'm donating money to this poor person, $10,000. The poor guy says, well, Baruch Hashem, I'm going to get $10,000. He's all excited. But the guy never pays it. So he lets him down. So what does God do? He brings rain clouds. And the clouds come over the ground that need uh, 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 irrigation. And you see all the farmers, ah, oh, beautiful, it's going to rain. Then what happens? They dissipate, the sun comes out. Just like you gave false hope to the poor person by pledging Sadaqah without paying it, so God brings also false hope. He brings rain clouds to the people that need rain, and then before it rains, they dissipate. So therefore, he thought that it must be the people are not paying their pledges. So he went to all the institutions, show me your receivables, show me what the people owe you. Everybody's paying their pledges. 
That was a problem. What could be the reason? He looked for the three major reasons why God stops the rain, and you have to know that if there's no rain, there's no food. So there was a famine. What's going on over here? What's the reason? So, the Pasuk says, Vaybakesh David et Hashem. He had to go and ask God for the reason. How do you ask God? You go to the Kohen, and the Kohen wears the Urim Vetumim, the breastplate with the stones, and he presented his question to the Kohen Gadol. Rabbi, tell us in the name of God, why is this happening? So he got an answer. El Shaul ve'el bet hadamim al asher hemit et ha'givonim. Wow, what a story. They gave him two answers. The reason why this is happening to you is regarding Shaul. Shaul ha-melech, who died already. But this is because of Shaul. And because he killed the givonim. Okay, now they got the reason. What is it talking about? So let's go one step at a time. You know about the Giv'onim? You don't know. Well, I'll tell you about it. So now what happened? In the times of Yoshua, the Jews had to go into Eretz Israel and rout out all the seven nations. The Guim living there, Kenani, Haiti, Perizi, Yibusi, Gengashi, all these, uh, you know, Tzadikim that were there. They weren't Tzadikim. You had to rout them out. So they were going from town to town, eliminating all these Rishayim. There was a nation that lived in Eretz Yisrael, but they didn't want to get eliminated. So they dressed up in costumes as if they're coming from a far-off place. And they told Yoshua, we're from a far-off city, we're not from Eretz Yisrael, and we want to make peace with you. So they came with tattered clothes, and empty uh, bottles of water, chunks of water, and they were filled with dirt. It looked like they came from Mars, these people. So Yeshua got fooled, and he said, well, these people must not come from Israel, because if they come from Israel, you've got to kill them, because that means they're one of the seven nations. But obviously these people are coming from a far place. Yeshua made a promise to them, you're with us, you'll be with us, we'll take care of you, have nothing to worry about. After we made the vow, they said, ha, 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 <laughs> we're, we're, we're from here. We, we, we fooled you. But it's too late. You made a vow. You made a swear. They tricked us. These were called the Giv'onim. Now, technically, Yeshua could have said, hold it. I made that vow on a false pretense. I only swore to you because I thought you were from far. You tricked me. The vow technically should be absolved and therefore killed them. Yoshua, who was a great tzaddik, obviously, was worried about Chilul Hashem. That the Guim could come along and say, look at these Jews, they give you the word and they break their word. They're not going to know the whole story. The word's going to get out, here they made a big uh, a pledge, and they didn't keep their word. Now Yoshua has to go, they didn't have WhatsApp in those days, we're going to tell everybody a text, oh no, listen, they, they fooled us first, they were, hey, go, go explain to the whole word, you can't explain to everybody. The people who hear this are not going to hear that. Yoshua was worried about Chilul Hashem, and therefore he said, you know what? We gave you our word. Even though you tricked us, we're better than you. You can stay with us. But they were thorns in our sides, these people. And what did we put them as? We gave them menial jobs, just so they could live. Water drawers, wood choppers. You need uh, people to do that also. They got some money, very nice. 
And they lived like that with us for many, for many years. They worked primarily in the city of Nov. That's where the Givonim were, in the city of Nov. And they helped the Kohanim. They drew water for them, and they chopped wood for the, whatever they needed, their, their fireplaces, what do I know? In Shaul's time, Shaul had the whole city of Nov and the Kohanim destroyed. He killed them. He had them killed. Ladies, I know you're shocked, but that's the story. He felt that the city of Nob were rebellious against him. In those days, men were men. If you rebelled against the king, they killed you. What is it? Not the games over here. You know, today they give me a second chance, third chance. What? Today you can curse the president out and they make you the, the vice president. But in the olden days, if you, if you speak against the president or the king, anyway, Shaul felt that these people were in contempt, they were rebellious, so he killed them. Problem is now, the Givonim were out of a job. They used to make Parnassah from the city. Now there's no more people to work for. And the problem was that Shaul did not uh, re-employ them somewhere else. So the Givonim had claims against Shaul, you killed us. Now he didn't physically kill the Givonim, but we have a rule that says a poor man is like a dead man. Ani hashuv kamet. And therefore, since he didn't uh, uh, provide for them, and he's the king, so it's like he killed them. So look at this. The reason why there was a famine for three years is because the Gibbonim had claims that after Shaul killed out Nob, they were left to die without Parnassah, and therefore, this was a punishment for that. Wow. Look how, look how the judgment of God is so strict. These are the shine to give on him. They tricked us. Now we're paying for because of uh, they don't have panasa. But Borealam says, once you accept it upon yourself, then you're going to take care of them. You have to take care of them. And you didn't take care of them. You didn't keep your word. So that's what it means when it says, the Urim Vatum says, Al Ashir Hemit Onim. That he killed the Givonim. Not that he killed them, but he didn't provide for them after he killed the city of Nov. Do you believe this? There was a second, there was a second reason over here. I'll get to the second reason in a minute. Let's finish with these Givonim guys. So the Pasuk says, So David goes to the Givonim, wants to appease them. He said, listen, we did wrong to you. We didn't take care of you. We want to settle it. Uh, he wanted to settle it with money. Tell us how much you want. We'll collect gold and silver. We'll give you the money. Listen, we don't want to live like this. We're wrong. We want to compensate you. David says, Ma lachim. Tell me what you want. Shaul beto. We don't want anything. We don't want any money. So David says, What do you want? Now, you're not going to believe this. Hold on to your seats. Yiten lanu shiv'at anashim mibanav. We want revenge. Give us seven of Shaul's descendants and we're going to hang them. Look at that, That's going to make them happy. Ask for money, Tipesh. How are you going to live? You're starving to death. No. To, to the goy, to the givoni, 
the sweet revenge is more tasty than the most delicious food in all the gold in the world. From here the Kibara learns that you know that the Givonim were not Jewish because Jewish people have three traits, the Baishanim, the Rahmanim, and the Gumna Hasadim. A Jew is Rahman. A Jew by nature is Rahman. Even if there's something, look, look, at, look at us. We had mercy on the Givonim, even though they tricked us. Because we're, we're good people. The Jewish people are good people. Uh, we, we, we have a good heart. Even though we got tricked by them, we say, Azaton, listen, they came, they're here already, let them stay. We have to support these guys now. So we are making a peace with them. We come and listen, we feel bad. You tricked us, but we stopped to support you. We're getting punished because of you. God, let's pay you. And these Givoni, look at them. What do they come along and say? No, 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 no. We want blood. Give us seven. Now, is David allowed to give seven? So you're back to the Urim Vitumim. And God said, yes, <laughs> you have to give it to them. Now, I'm not sure how we went and picked the seven. Barbanan. So he comes along, you, 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 you're related to Shaul, you come over here, where are you going? You're going to go get hung. Make vidui. And sure enough, the Pasuk says, he tried to appease them one more time, but they wouldn't be appeased. And they had to hang seven of the, uh, of the children. But that was only one sin. The famine didn't stop yet. The other sin was, this is very, very important, the other sin was like this. Shaul died in war. So he really wasn't buried properly. They couldn't bury him properly next to the family plot because he died in the middle of a war. There was no passage to get him to the right place. And as a result, since he died suddenly in the war, he wasn't eulogized properly either. And the Kabbalah is very strict. That if a tzaddik dies and he's not eulogized correctly and they don't give him the right respect, God forbid that arouses tremendous amount of judgments on Klai Yisrael. And the Pasuk is saying, Shaul was not buried correctly or eulogized correctly. They didn't eulogize him enough. The king of Israel was tzaddik, Shaul. So therefore, they went back to his grave wherever they buried him and they reinterred him. And they brought him all the way from one area to the other area of his family plot. And on the way there, they stopped every few uh, stations. And they made eulogies. They made his spade. And they gave him what we call the final respect that was due to him. And they reinterred his body next to his father, Kish, Shaul ben Kish. And all of a sudden, right after that happened, the rain started to come down. And the Benachah came. So you see two different tikkunim over here. The Pasuk again says... The first thing was, you didn't give Shaul the right respect when he died. And secondly, regarding the that when they killed Nov, they also killed the Givonim by not giving them employment. And therefore, that has to be fixed. So the seven descendants of Shaul got hung. Shaul then was buried properly and eulogized. And everybody lived the happily ever after. And the Pasuk says, And now, this chapter that David writes is on that event. The Pasuk says, Fortunate is the person that chooses to be close to you. And he has the zikhut 
to dwell in the Megdash area. And he will be uh, satiated spiritually from spending time in your house. That's the biggest spiritual satiation. Into your Megdash. And now the Pasuk says, this is where the, the chapter begins the story of the Nabi. Noraot betzedek ta'anenu. Noraot is devarim noraim. Meaning things that are scary. Nora is frightening. The justice of God is frightening. Noraot betzedek. When you see how precise the justice of God is. That there was a famine for three years because we, who would have imagined David was looking for federal crimes, not paying charity bills, and God says, no, I'm getting you on a, a technical over here. Nobody would have dreamt it because she didn't give Shaul the right respect and because she didn't make sure that the Gibbonim have jobs. Sometimes it's not always the federal things that you look at. Sometimes even the smallest things, that means God's judgment is very, very precise. And that's what it says, Noraot betzedek. God's justice that he demanded for the Givonim and God's justice that he demanded for Shaul is noraot. Ta'anenu. This is what God answered them with the Unim Betumim. That there was no justice done. And therefore, noraot, the justice of God to kill the descendants of Shaul because of this, it's pahad. If anybody thinks that God is not uh, 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 involved in justice, and midat adin, this, this, this reminds us otherwise. The God that we hope for salvation, miftah, the God that we trust on, all the corners of the earth, the Gemara says in, 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 in Yibamot, on the same page, that after what happened, uh, that the Jewish people took the seven descendants of Shaul and, and killed them. And they saw how the Jews treated the Gibonim, even though the Gibonim treated them wrongly, it created a great Kiddush Hashem for the Jews. And that's why the Pasuk says over here, our God, all the corners of the heard the story, all the far off islands, they said, wow, these Jews are unbelievable. Even the people that wronged them, they write them. It's the same thing today. The Jewish people are always Nachmanim, and therefore it made a big uh, uh, impression. Mechin harim bechoho, nezar begvura. God is girded with givura. Givura means judgment. Mashpiach she'on yamim, but Olam calms the waves of the oceans. She'on galehem, the high waves. Vehamon leumim. So what is this going on? So the Mabim explains that when there was a famine for three years in Eretz Israel, what happened? All the enemies, Mitzrayim, Egypt, Syria, all the border nations wanted to attack us because we had no food. So already we were weak. So the Pasuk says that just like God calms the oceans down, that the waves will not come high and flood the earth, so the Pasuk says, Mashpiach she'on yamim, she'on galehem, that just like Bore Olam quells the uh, waves of the ocean from flooding the earth, he does the same thing to the multitudes of nations. The multitudes of nations wanted to come at us like a tsunami. 
we were vulnerable. Don't you understand? There's no food in Klaise for three years. So we were weak. All the enemies had to do was come and attack us. We can't defend ourselves. We have nothing. The soldiers don't have food. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu kept the enemies at bay. Just like he keeps the water in its place from inundating the earth, the Hamon Umim, he keeps the nations, also the multitudes, in place. The people saw and they feared God. Those that were on the ends of the earth, Motzaibokit is where the sun rises in the morning. That's in the east. All the way to the west, that's where the sun sets. That means the whole world saw the salvation that was done for B'nai Yisrael after they made the rectification. And what did God do? You remembered the land, to quench. You quench the thirst of the land by bringing the rain. You brought prosperity back to the produce of the, and the yield of the, of the fields. Pelig is the rivers. The rivers that were empty. The rivers that had no water. Now they were filled with water. And now the Dagan. Dagan is the, the wheat. was starting to grow again. Because you prepared it. The furrows that the farmers make in the ground. You, you, you satiated them with water. And you brought the... The abundance of rain in order that they will be able to uh, uh, give uh, water to the, to the people. You moisten the earth. With, means with uh, drops of water. You moisten the earth. The produce was blessed. The year of the famine, when it ended, became a crown year. It was crowned with, with prosperity. And all the streets that the people were going on, from city to city, there was prosperity and wheat and barley and all sorts of food. Ma'agalecha is the roads. Wherever you went, the markets were filled with produce again. Ma'agalecha, the streets, Yirafundashim, were filled with dashim. Dashim means the fatness of the land. And even in the places of the Midbar where you have the nomads live, it rained there also. And they got what they needed as well. The mountains, Gibaot is the mountains, they were thrilled also because the rain came as well. Now let's read, uh, let's read the Mepharshim over here. What does this mean? Laveshu kharim hason. The fields were filled again with sheep. What does it mean? When there was a famine, the sheep were not in the fields with nothing to eat. But now that the famine was over and the wheat started to grow and the crops started to grow and the grass started to grow, Laveshu kharim hason. Now the uh, karim is the, the open areas that were empty from sheep. Laveshu karim, they became dressed again with sheep, which means uh, they came back to graze. They came back in great flocks. Vamakim, vamakim is the, the valleys. That's the valleys where the, the wheat grows. Now, the, 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 the farmers don't let the, 
the, the, the sheep eat wheat because that's for human consumption. So they go to the different areas where they eat grass and things like that. That's in the uh, karim. Karim is just the open areas where there's grass. So the karim were filled with what? Sheep. Va'amakim in the valleys where there was wheat, which is for human consumption, where there's no sheep over there. The pasu says, Ya'atfu bar. The stalks were filled with kernels. Ya'atfu bar. They were enveloped with kernels. Yitro'a'u afyashidu. And the wheat was singing a song. When does the wheat sing a song? Yitro'a'u, when they shake. You ever go to a field of wheat, when the wind blows, what happens? They click against each other. So you hear the... So Yitro'a'u afyashidu. When the wind was blowing, we didn't hear the song for three years. Now all of a sudden the wind was blowing and they started to hear the song of the wheat click against each other, which means the famine was over. I'm reading Rashi. Rashi says a different explanation. Because of the rain, the valleys were filled with tivu'ah. And the people started to sing. Not the wheat. The people started to sing the praises of God because of the merakas. So that's yet another interpretation. I do believe that there is a, a good siman that we read this chapter. Number one... We're able to talk about uh, the Zohar that we read in Parashat Aziyah, about the tefillah, the collective tefillah, which is a good siman. But there's another good siman because this Shabbat is going to be Rosh Chodesh Nisan. And I found a, uh, a Gemara. Here it is. It's a Gemara Rosh Hashanah, page 11. The Gemara says... In the name of Rabbi Yoshua, the big machlok when the world was created. Rabbi Yoshua's opinion says the world was created on Rosh Chodesh Nisan. God had the idea to create the world in Rosh Chodesh Tishri, but he didn't actually create it to Rosh Chodesh Nisan. So now, according to a very formidable opinion in the Talmud, we're coming now to the anniversary of the creation of the world, Rosh Chodesh Nisan. That's when he says the world was created. So they asked Rabbi Yoshua, do you have a proof to this? Where, where does it say? The, the other rabbis have a proof the other way, because if you look at the word Bereshit, when God created the world, Bereshit is the same letters as Aleph B'Tishri. Bereshit is Aleph B'Tishri, which is the first of Tishri. So they asked Rabbi Yoshua, how do you know that God created the world in Rosh Nisan? So he says, Shnei It's a pasuk right in the beginning of Bereshit. But Totseha Ares Deshe, when God created the world, the ground started to produce what? Grass. It started to produce trees. Now what month does the trees start to grow? Not in, the, not in September. In September, that's when the trees are starting to go back to sleep for the winter. If the pasuk is coming along to say, that the ground was producing, that must be in the month of production. What month is the ground filled with grass? The ilan motzi perot, and the trees start to produce fruit. Now next week we're going to make berkate ilanot because that's when the budding starts. That's when the fruits come out. Avi Omer ze Nisan must be Nisan, and then he goes further. The otua perek zman behema bechaya ba'of shemizdabegim ze etzel ze. And that's when the mating season begins with the animals. As it says in our chapter, Labeshu Karim Hason. 
which means the sheep started to mate with each other. And therefore, when God created the animals, it's probable to say that he created them at a time where they're going to mate to make more. He's not going to create them at a time of year where they're going to be stagnant and not produce. The whole purpose of creating the animals is what? So they, they produce. God wants the world to have uh, uh, abundance. So therefore, since we know that what? That God created the animals as well. And our chapter says, And what does it say? At the time that the sheep were mating, it says, There was wheat in the fields. And that we know is when there's wheat in the fields, the sand time. And there must be the animals were also created, the sand time at the time of their mating season. So therefore, it is from this pasuk that we start to learn that the world actually starts in the sand. It makes sense because that's when the world is coming alive again. That's when the world starts to regenerate itself. That's when there's a renewal in the world. This world goes to sleep. It hibernates for six months. And also now this time of year, when the, well, now we don't see it, it's freezing, but then when soon, when it starts to warm up again, the earth starts to thaw out, and then all of a sudden you start to see everybody come back. And nonetheless, you see from this uh, chapter over here, a tremendous, tremendous Musab, uh, 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 number one, we cannot be lazy when it comes to the hesped of Sadiqim. That's why you see every rabbi saying about Rav Chaim and they're taking speeches. How much could I say? You could never say enough. Sadiqim, we're worried that Hazrat Shalom, they're not eulogized enough. Now, even though we're not worthy to eulogize the great Sadiqim, but you can't just uh, uh, de- deny it and just make believe it doesn't happen because you're not worthy. You have to mention it has to be discussed. And the second thing we learn over here about the judgment of God. That sometimes the avon does not have to be such a big avon. Sometimes it's something that's so small, but in God's eyes it's big. You gave your word to the Givonim, you have to make good on your word. And therefore famine for three years. You didn't do the judge. None of us, would have, even David didn't think of it. He thought of the crimes, the federal crimes. He didn't think of the... But look at the answer. Once we fix the sin, the Berachah came. Which teaches us that there's no Hasbush uh, no, uh, uh, Shalom negative that comes without a reason. And then we need the tzaddikim to tell us what needs to be rectified. And then once we rectify it, but I was not looking to punish, but I was looking to wake us up. And then once we got rid of the sin, then already the pasuk says, at yashiru. Then already they started to sing the praise of God because the Yeshua came. Okay, then we'll stop over here. Baruch Amen. Amen.